I am unashamed. What about you? Welcome back to Unashamed. Happy New Year, everyone. Um, it was a... Uh, <laughs> Y'all look like a couple of drowned rats when I got here. This is going to – look, I'm just going to tell what, you. There's some days I'm really glad I wasn't – drowned rats. This podcast is probably going to be earth-shattering. <laughs> it's going to be fantastic <laughs> because some of the greatest things that come in life after happen after a period of suffering and misery. <laughs> and that sums up this morning's duck, <laughs> duck hunt. It was. It wasn't. It wasn't as cold as you think. It was thirty-eight degrees, but it was pouring down rain. And there's just something about being windy and getting wet. We hadn't hunted this place since the first split, two and a half weeks. So we were thinking, "Well, we're gonna get them." You know, it's, it, this is our rainy day hole. We hunted one time in the first split when it rained, and we hammered them. So we get out there. We had two guests who had contributed a large amount of money to the Tim Tebow Foundation, and we're grateful because they do great work. They do. And we've all supported their their ministry for years. So we took them as a man and his son, and uh, I think they left away, left thinking, wow, <laughs> you've got to love this. <laughs> so we shot three ducks. But I'm we, just thinking, praise the Lord, they love the Tebow Foundation because uh, if they were just doing it for the hunt, that would have been a lot of money for nothing. Yeah, if we would have gone money paid, money paid per duck, <laughs> that would have been the most expensive ducks <laughs> shot in the history <laughs> of the world. Yeah. Plus you add on top of that, uh, what was the term he used? I can't remember right now. Oh, he, I, he got out of the rig. We're fixing to go duck hunting. And he said, you're a legend. Now, I looked around a little bit. I was thinking to myself, after this hunt, he may change his mind. <laughs> he may put the Eastwood line. He's yeah, a he, legend in He mistakenly was given some bad information. <laughs> no, you are a legend, Dad. He was right about that. And um, by the way, that's what they were. They were donating to a great cause, but they were paying for an experience, which they got. They'll be telling people it. about that trip. Whether they kill, he said we actually didn't come out empty-handed. Right, we shot three in the first sixty seconds of the hunt, which looked like this is feasible. They never even saw what we shot. Our guests, (laughs) I just heard boom, boom, boom. (laughs) They'll never saw because they just come came in and lit the decoy. Jason them didn't look down the way. Said, "Are y'all ready?" We got them sitting in the decoy. No, they lit. They died right there. And at this point, you're thinking we're going to have a good hunt. I thought this there there's going to be some more. Let me tell you, and and I was wet because I was driving the boat, and I thought I had zipped up my slicker, but the wind was blowing in our face, you know, and I'm trying to look at where we're going so we don't have a wreck, and you could barely see because it's hard to, you know, the rain is just pummeling, and uh, so I got wet. Then we had to brush the blind. You never want to brush a duck blind in the pouring down rain because you will get soaking wet no matter what, because everything's wet and you're moving and pushing and stabbing branches into the ground. and So it was miserable. So when I pulled up and saw y'all this morning, uh, my thought was, I know now why our little brother Willie is running the company, because he was the smartest person in this whole operation, because he went to the Tebow Foundation 
auction off a hunt with y'all, and he was laying in a nice warm bed this morning. I wasn't going to go down that road. I did. I, for the record, I said, hey. I'm just tipping my hat to him because he next, looks pretty smart. Next time you want to give away a hunt, you make sure that when you give that away, that that's with you. <laughs> Don't Anybody can do that. Hey, we're going to give a hunt with Phil and Jace without their knowledge. That's right. He didn't, and he, but he knew because he's he's smart. He's right. slick. He thought, that's why he runs our operation. Jason Tebow are friends. He loves what they do. He'll he he won't be happy about it that I didn't ask him, but they'll do it. So we did, but I did draw the line in the sand and say, hey, if I want to give away a hunt, I'll I'll be in charge of that. <laughs> <laughs> so we we uh, we did a, we had a little event uh, last night, Duck Commander honoring. Uh, we talked about a past podcast that this was kind of our 50th year and, uh, they put together a video, which was nice kind of interviews with all of us. And, and, uh, they gave dad a shotgun, kind of a, uh, some kind of custom made Benelli with the, with our logo on it, which is really cool. And I gave my yeah. mom, they gave mama gold duck. On I think the it was a gold plated. Is that what it was? Oh yeah. Well, I, I like this mom, <laughs> when mom goes up to get it, and it to her mom says, "Is it real?" Yeah. <laughs> Which was well, it's a big like one. when I find these old buttons when I'm treasure hunting, and I was like, "I found a gold button," and people are like, "Oh, what's that worth?" And it's like, "Well, it's gold gilded," mm. which means they just—it's like dust. <laughs> you, if you gathered it all, it wouldn't even be you know a tenth of an ounce. It, right, right, it right. was so you know you might get fifty bucks for it. Yeah. But it was pretty cool. So they honored both the the past, dad and mom, for the beginning, and then also the present. So it's a uh, it's good. We talked about it before. It's a uh, but it was a it was a good event. I, I yeah, fifty years is a long time. So it, it was, you know they they've got a museum there now, and I guess they've had it for how long? Uh, probably about six or seven years. You want to hear something funny? You'd never seen it. that. Was the first time <laughs> I had ever walked through it. Me too. <laughs> Dad, I was like, Dad did one wow, time. He's forgotten. This is this is. Great. I didn't go through the whole thing or something. Maybe not. Well, what they've done is, and Zach, you can uh, appreciate this. They they took a lot of stuff from the movie set that they did at Mom and Dad's movie. Um, yeah. Where can they find out about that movie, Zach? Where, where did they go? There's to? a website called theblindmovie.com, okay. and you guys can go there. Put your email in. Put it. Put your email in there, and we'll keep you updated. By the way, uh, I do want to tell you, I did see the last cut. It's looking amazing. I think it's going to be very, very good. Oh, good. So well, I'm fired up. I'm fired up to show you guys. So, so Zach, when they redid the tour, all the early years of. Uh, dad and side and the siblings and then the early stuff with mom and dad they took a lot of those uh things that i guess y'all found for the movie and they're in the museum now in the tour and it really took it up a notch. i mean it's very impressive so oh, i was impressed oh, yeah. and i'm not easily impressed yeah dad was looking at well, it was yeah the girl we hired uh, a Cor uh, Corey, willie and Corey hired the uh two of the art our art director and um and then uh, another person art department who oversaw all the set and the movie to come in and build that out when we did the reshoots there. So yeah, those guys were, it was actually pretty amazing watching them work. Like you sit around, I mean, they know they can look at something and be like, Oh, that that's true vintage. That's from 1972. And they didn't make the, and they'll give you the history of all that. So 
everything was like period and I, and it, and you know a lot of the stuff looked exactly like it would have looked back then so yeah i think they they were able to really capture it but the museum itself is pretty amazing even before that it was pretty amazing yeah I it thought. tells the story i mean it shows the evolution of of the whole of dad you know as a kid and then you know, obviously mom coming into the picture and then the spiritual change, then the company, the show. I mean, well, I just the, thought it's really well done. The number one thing. In it's all, worth it if you come to West Monroe to do the tour. I'm just telling you. The number one thing in the videos that they ran, because nobody knew what the other person was going to say. We all did just autonomous interviews. Which I thought our, the brothers thing came together. Well, did you notice that everyone basically gave credit to the Lord? Yep for building the company, for the show's success, and the platform. That is the truth of the matter. So I I was impressed with that. Was that you missed uh, last podcast, you left early, which was such a shock. So if you're new to this podcast, the last 15 minutes is what they call behind a paywall, but Overtime. I've never seen that wall. I think it's an invisible wall <laughs> in the virtual realm. So I'm not even, I don't feel comfortable using that term. So yeah. Zach, sounds you, like our Southern border, Jace. It's a, an we, uh, so wall. for those, you know, 32 people, who were behind that wall? No, I don't know. <laughs> might have been thirty two hundred. Might have been thirty two thousand. Uh, hilarity ensued Get behind that wall. And I wanted just to tell you one snippet of that, which I'm encouraging you to, you know, whatever, whatever it is to be behind the paywall. You know, two dollars or it's not a lot. Yeah, you know, whatever it is. I made a public declaration that I thought everyone was familiar with, and chaos ensued. Because I said, when you're at an airport, which I am all the time, frequently, and I said, I just was wanting to see your take on this. When someone walks into the public restroom, because, you know, it's always crowded at airports, right? Yeah. When they walk in and say, sorry, guys, you hear it. I've heard it several times, not just one. When they say, sorry, guys, that means two things. This guy has a stomach virus or intestinal discomfort to the point of he wants to break the tension <laughs> and let you know that what the sounds you are fixing to hear and the smell you smell is of such ginormous proportions that you have 10 seconds to finish Please. what you're doing and get out of there. And this I was, was saying, the, this the was premise. the entire overtime was this discussion. Was this discussion. And so I was like, and Phil and Al looked at me like they had never they had never had that happen. Which I've never Phil, seen this Phil's exact response yeah. was, "That's why I don't go to airports. I go to the woods which, <laughs> and find a big oak tree." <laughs> yeah, it sounds like the, there's a lot of meaningful content going on behind the paywall. Oh my goodness! Well, yeah. I, I will say this: is I haven't laughed that hard since we had the whole uh, meat, meatloaf yeah, conversation. I, I've, never, I've never experienced that, Jace. I'll be honest with you; I've never. Thank you. Like you, well, you said it like every time. Like that's this like is how I said I've said now the first time that I saw it happen, I didn't move, and then when I hear this sound, and it sounded like he we need to call nine one one, I realized he did that for us to leave. He apologized, and now he doesn't feel guilty for what's coming out of that stall because he tried to say I'm sorry, guys. 
There are some and, instances where so, you got to go, you got to go well, now. And so the second time I heard it was after I took his lead, I was having discomfort and I did it. I walked in, I said, sorry guys. And I... <laughs> <laughs> I never heard of a pronouncement. <laughs> well, I, I did hear a story about your wife that she had an issue. She had the same yeah, we issue. we talked about That's that. That's what came led up. to the conversation that. is she, yeah. you know, because I once said the most embarrassing thing that can ever happen to a human being is to have some kind of diarrhea and, and try to be quiet in a public place. Oh, it's just the it, ultimate it's embarrassment. Yeah, yeah. So that's where the apology came from because people are giving well, I you get a it in chance. the in the TSA line, but like the restroom, you don't have to pronounce. I pretty much know this is a place no, you for, just go in there and do it. Yeah, yeah I don't, do I don't understand do. the apology. Well, it's, I think it's yeah, the more like, like, I'm not, you're saying the it's a courtesy public, to leave. It's a courtesy to leave, <laughs> and it makes yeah. them not feel bad. Because they're not going to be able to do it quietly, so they're saying it's a human, you know, it's a human social courtesy. Yeah, that I think we should all yeah. do. It's not a nor something abnormal is fixing to happen to me in oh, this in this restroom, and it is beyond no, one's control. No, it's beyond my control, and that's why they're like, because they're giving you a play by play, just in agony and pain and sound. So I'm like, well, I should have listened to him. And taking that opportunity to leave. So anyway. What were you saying, Zach? You had a comment. I, I I was just I hate public restrooms. Period. I mean, I try to avoid them at all costs. You know? Unless I mean, you, you have the you stomach have, virus. Unless you have. <laughs> you to, have yeah. one option. But if you're on, but I will tell you this: if you're on the road, this is this is a little uh, advice here oh, for tip. me. Um, uh, uh, yeah, this is a good tip here because I've spent 15 years mm -hmm. as a, as a, a sales account manager for a biotech. A lot company. of time so, on the road, a lot of restrooms. A lot of time yep. traveling, yeah, a lot of driving, a lot of restrooms. You got, I mean, that, you're out on the road six hours and seven hours, eight hours, whatever you gotta, you gotta go where you gotta go. But here's the deal. Ne the, never use the convenience stores. That's like the first, like that's the, the last place you go. Yep. And then the next place above that, that you want to avoid, but not as bad is the restaurants yeah fast like, foods uh, mcdonald's if you have to go to one i would recommend chick-fil-a if you like i have to i have to use a restaurant a restaurant the best place to go is you find like a holiday inn express or one of these hotel you know like mm -hmm. the marriott's or the, the hilton any of those kind of hotels if you, you go into the lobby you go right past the front desk and usually it's right you take the on the first left hallway and you look, it'll be right there on your left. You gotta, you gotta look, act like you, you belong. Don't be looking around. You gotta act like, you gotta yeah. act like, yeah, I'm but just you here. May be, I'm just, you, you may know. be in these modern times, you're probably making too much out of it because just think of a world where there were no commodes. There was no fresh water coming in and you walk into a enclosure, whatever you, bowel troubles or not. And, but there were no, so you tell me what was the human race doing? How were they dealing with that? Because I'm sure they're doing what, they're doing what you sure do every day, I'm sure with the lack Phil. of medical care, there's a lot of. Well, a lot of them are, were dying and, well, and living to be 35. That's why we're talking about washing. And I'm saying they don't have a commode or a little lavatory to wash your hands and no bar of soap sitting there. I mean, 
You just think about it. You well, say, well, that's why Mary was anointing. At least they're uh, announcing it because they have the equipment to curtail it, a commode. You keep it confined in a small area, and which can be flushed. But you take a world when that didn't exist. I don't know how we got into this conversation. But, <laughs> well, but, but, <laughs> oh, I know exactly. Yeah, hang on. Your side. I'm defending the people because before the commodes and the lavatories and the soap and the water and the warm or the hot, warm, hot, or, or cold, I mean, this thing this thing could get rude. I love it. The dad yeah. could take the most benign thing and turn it into the best sermon. Let, let's take a break. No, my point was, though, we're, when we talked about Mary anointing Jesus' feet with perfume, well, it's because in that culture, they they stink. I mean, that, that's just— So that's how you got—that was the avenue into the conversation. probably wouldn't be a, wouldn't be a word. Uh, well, I didn't know what the— not a word, what but is, I mean, I we get your point. <laughs> no, Jesus. I think you would say they skunk. No, let me look. Jay's is going back to the Grinch now. Stink, stank, stuck. I think it's stank. It's stank. I'm going to look it up. Stanky. I mean, it may be a slang word, but it's not a legitimate word. Have a strong, unpleasant smell. Stank. Well, they made it a word. It's the past tense of stink. Yeah. I thought stunk. What is stunk? That's what I. That's well, what I was. I, I think old Jace has <laughs> elevated himself. I have corrected two of the smartest men I know about vocabulary. Stunk having a strong, strong. So both are past participle now. is stunk. Ah, okay. Stank is past tense. Right. So I think I did that right. You did. I think. Yeah. I think you did. Okay. No apologies needed. Uh, but well, now, if you're fixed to go into a bathroom in a public place, you do need to uh, pre-announce the apology. <laughs> yeah, okay. good point. So where and, were and, we? And, 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 and pick the hotel, because also I meant to say this, the hotel That's actually has an a, excellent idea, Zach. That's very, that's, yeah. I've never thought and, about it. Because you, you're, you're not sharing it with other people No, because you can it's, lock it's it. One it's hole. using one Before over. all yeah. of the commodes and the running water and all that, you, you, people got used to living around <laughs> others that had these ailments or whatever, and you think about it, so little medicine. I mean, well, there was no medicine. There was no, there was no way to combat it. So well, I don't know. I I think they just live with it. And but I've been told, and I don't know this to be true. Some could have maybe bettered out warnings, but it was pretty rough just to begin with. I have it. You at somebody's house, and an attack hits you. Well, you know, and it's just in a city dwelling. Well, you city, run outside. Well, that's what I'm saying. Where where do you go? Well, back then you just saw people running over the hills. <laughs> yeah, you say, "What's he doing? <laughs> Practicing for a marathon?" <laughs> or nope. is, is something chasing him? <laughs> so so uh, I've heard this before. It may or may not be true because I haven't visited there. But in some countries like India, some countries with large population places, it's still a problem because yeah. you got a lot of poverty. So you got people just. Stuff going right in the river that goes downstream, and everybody downstream is having to deal with what's upstream. So no, that's I, it's probably still a problem. So, so we left off after, which does apply to this culture. I mean, this was there. That's why I said even, even, even though Mark fourteen twelve through twenty five doesn't bring up about Jesus washing the disciples' feet 
that did happen in this section if you read the other the John three gospels. Yeah. So what 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 are the parallel passages? You so you got, got Matthew twenty six, seventeen through thirty. Yep. Luke twenty two, seven through twenty three. And those are very similar to the Mark passage. You have John and thirteen. John thirteen, really the whole chapter. One through thirty eight. And then John gives a lot more depth in his which we studied John a long time ago on the podcast, but he gives a lot, the the foot washing he goes more into the denial, Peter's denial, and the others just mention it. So that was some of the main difference. So we had just covered about Mary having this beautiful, what you know, Jesus, Jesus called what she did, breaking the jar and pour, pouring, pouring the perfume, you know, on his head and wiping his feet with her tears and hair as beautiful. And he said, you know, she she's realized that. I'm going to be buried, which is a preview to, you know, his death for the sins of the world. So she was, she was getting, he said, you know, leave her alone. Now, right after that, uh, it says she's beautiful. Let's see. Where does it say that? One of the, one of them says that she's done a beautiful thing. Yeah. That's verse six of 14. So meanwhile, in verse 10, you have Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 went to the chief priest to betray Jesus they were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Which so, the link there <clears throat> was that we know Judas was the main one complaining about this act she did. Yeah. And so it's almost like it seems like it like pushed him over the edge to finally do what obviously he had been thinking about doing, which yeah. was go and betray Jesus. So I do think with that going on in the backdrop, this it's an unusual uh, situation these first couple of verses, because, you know, in verse 12, if you pick up where we're at, on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. I laughed out loud when I read this one, when I was prepping for this. And I like this next statement, follow him. <laughs> I thought to myself, you know, it's like that Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. Remember the first one where she jumps in the basket and then he, mm. he turns the corner to see her and there's like 75 people with baskets on their shoulder. I thought, how many people were carrying a jar of water? How it's was- just, it seems so redneckish. And I can say that because I am one, you know, to like, now you go up the hill over here. You're going to see a guy, you know, carrying a jar of water. It was so interesting to read what all the scholars say here because some tend to think that God was using, or you know, Jesus as under the power of the Holy Spirit was using a miraculous moment to predict that. And others are like, well, no, this is near Bethany, you know, and he probably seen that guy. They would know people walk, walking all the time with a jar on his head. You know, he's like, go find a guy with a jar on his you head. You know that guy. So either one I'm fine with. So verse 14 says, say to the owner of the house, he enters. The teacher asks, where is my guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. Because a lot of people say he was going, since he knew these threats were around his life, that he, he went to an obscure place off off the cuff because it wasn't quite time right. for this all to. I think that's, that's actually. I kind of like the notion that Jesus had his people. Like, 
You know what I'm saying? Like he knew he, there were people like people wouldn't even notice this guy, but it was like Jesus knew he's one of my guys. Well, it's like the guy with the donkey. You know, right. go, you'll find a donkey tied up. Tell him the Lord needs it. Yeah. Okay. I love that. So verse 15, he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready, make preparations for us there. So all right, the disciples left. They went to the city, found just the guy with jarhead. <laughs> and so they prepared the Passover. And I'll let you explain that when we finish reading. Yep. So when evening came, Jesus arrived at the 12. While they were reclining at the table, he said, I'll tell you the truth. One of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. So that's why I read that about Judas. So now he's already made his deal and now he hasn't he's just set the plan in motion and now jesus is calling him out on it which i think in my opinion probably to give him a chance to repent (laughs) i mean he called him out what would be the purpose of that other than that I, i think it does show jesus is is full of grace because he washes his feet also and you can read that in john uh 13 or the Matthew 26. So they were saddened and one by one, they said to him, surely not I. So I guess you just went ahead and added lying to conspiracy and malice. It is one of the 12. He replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me, the son of man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. So, he was tender and he confronted him, but he was also blunt about the result would not end well for Judas. So 22 says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take it. This is my body. And if this sounds familiar, this is the introduction of the Lord's Supper, which is his version of the Passover meal, Correct. which to these disciples were like, this is the strangest Passover meal exactly I've, I've right. ever experienced. So you have to look in the history, read, you know, what is that where they quote all the Psalms, like Psalm 114 through Psalm 118, I think, is a typical Passover meal. And there's like four stages to it. And there's a it's very elaborate. A lamb on the table. And, you know, and so verse. Uh, Hang on, before you read that, let's take another break. So 23, he takes the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, i tell you the truth. I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. So when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then just to preview what happens next, he then says that they'll all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you in Galilee. And that's when Peter was like, no, I'm not. I will never. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I think it is interesting that Jesus had this, had the Lord's Supper in between announcing Judas or, you know, one of them will betray him and that all the rest of them would defect him. Yeah. But he had the Lord's Supper in between there. Yeah. Which I think is is ironic. Which included him washing their feet, which showed exactly. this concept of service too. So just a, a little bit about the Passover. Um 
Jace mentioned it. So if you Exodus 11 and 12 is when it was initiated. And I mentioned this on a recent podcast. I won't go deep into it. But the idea was at the end of the plagues, you know, they had the death of the firstborn. And the Passover began there. The idea was that the angel of death would pass over your house if the blood of a lamb is on the doorpost. So obviously, even way back in Exodus and in the time of Moses, right before the first covenant came, God was showing this concept that the blood of something innocent has to die for people to experience salvation. I mean, that was the big picture he was... But in the moment... it was a shadow of yes. eventually Jesus. And even then, it didn't... It didn't actually remove the you know the sin. Only Jesus, no, it just a human over. had to remove the human yeah the human sin. But I do think it's a good point that when this happened, the either a lamb or the firstborn of your family died. So I mean, and and remember all the verses that says because justice is coming. He he was introducing. Or not introducing, but he was explaining, I guess, that God is, he's just. That's right. So this is what's going to happen. I mean, I know that seems uh, a little. Morbid? Yeah, morbid and barbaric. But when you think about what, that, it. That, he, that he's just? Well, right. Well, right. That, that, that a lamb or yeah. a firstborn was going to die. But you got to remember, when when sins happen, someone someone is paying for that. There are consequences whether you believe in God or not, there there is payment for. There's got to be. There's got to be payment. Well, well I there think just that's a big is. Question a lot of people. Have. Yeah, there there just is. Well, a lot of people. Yeah, I think a lot of people who are irreligious or have come out of they 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 don't they've never heard. You know, we we grew up with this. You know, so we were, you know, we were formed in the in the teachings of the Bible. So we kind of had a God conscience early on, but. I will say that for a lot of my life, I had this question: why, why do I deserve death? It seems like a bit of an overkill, and I think that's because we don't understand the nature of sin. You know, I think if you if you define sin in a relational context, meaning that sin is is you're violating some another person. I mean, I, I've tried to think of a sin that wasn't relational in its nature, and I I just couldn't think of one either. Either you're violating God or another person. And I was thinking about, you know, nobody has a problem with God being love. I mean, everybody likes that concept. First John 4, 8, God is love. But only a loving father would would be a father that demands justice if someone harmed or sinned against someone that, someone that he loved. If you mess with one of my kids and I'm like, ah, nah, no big deal. I probably don't love my kids. But it, but if I do love my kids then and, and you violate someone like one of my children— I'm going to demand justice. Why? Because I love them. And I think the, that's the thing here with God. The reason why God demands justice and the reason why God demands there be a, a payment made when we when, when someone hurts one of his children is because he loves his children. The problem is, is that the, pro, that the people who hurt God's children are also God's children. And so that's why you see the gospel being played out here. Even in the Old Testament, you see it. I mean, you can see it right there in in, in the Passover, in the Exodus of of the Israelites. And you know, as this is beginning to, to be prepared, you see God's people, right? Like He's He's bringing payment for them, and that's what this. I think if you interpret the Passover in isolation, you're missing it. the The Passover was a shadow of the thing that was to come. 
And again, we've talked about this a lot with the book of Hebrews. It's like you keep seeing these shadows, the old priesthood model, uh, the Levitical priesthood model. That's a shadow Uh, the temple. That's a shadow. The Passover. That's a shadow. The reality, however, is found in Christ. And so in this institution of the Lord's Supper, he does it through the Passover because he's putting one thing. One thing is coming to an end. And then the real thing is coming into being which is Christ himself is going to be that lamb, which is yeah. incredible. And I, I brought this up a couple, a uh, few podcasts ago. I'm not sure y'all agree with me, but uh, I heard uh, Keller give this illustration and I agreed with it. I, Cause when you look at what they did under the, you know, doing the, the Passover I mean, and, and I experienced it when I was, in Israel, you know, we were with a family and I mean, it was, it was long and it was long readings and they had the meal out there and they had the wine and, and every I mean, element the of the meal had a meaning for yeah, And they had yeah. the lamb. And so here Jesus does this. And, you know, Keller made a point that I, I really had never considered. And I mean, you're making assumptions, but I agree with him is that you didn't have a lamb it's not mentioned that there was lamb on the table. Now, I guess there could have been because it was the Passover. But he was making the point that in this moment, by him declaring the Lord's Supper, which I think everyone would agree with, that you're no longer going to eat the lamb on the table to experience the Passover because the lamb is beside you at the table, which was Jesus. You know, and, and you have a lot of text to support that. Remember when John the Baptist saw him? John 2, he was like, look, the Lamb, the Lamb of God. So he got it that the Lamb the and all the shadows that Zach just mentioned were pointing to Jesus, and I believe he was declaring this right here. Yeah, you, you, This is my body. This is my blood being poured out. And I think when you look at it, that it won't, won't be on the table. It'll be at the table in him, in, in Jesus. I, I just think it really takes you to an understanding of where you need to be as far as now. Yeah, and I like that, This the idea of him inviting us. Let's take another break. Keller's point goes back to the concept that we've been talking about all along with the kingdom and in the book of Exodus 2, that my presence will go with you. And so, you know, it, it's one thing to consume to consume a, a piece of meat that's it's there, but you got to continue to make that sacrifice year after year. You know, every time you do the Passover, it's a new sacrifice, a new lamb. But now that you have the lamb with you, he's present. And I think it's a picture that you get in uh, the book of Revelation uh, in chapter five, when he talks about this scroll that nobody was able to open. We actually singing this on Christmas Eve at our church that, um, Peterson song, uh, Is He Worthy, which is an incredible song, by the way. But it's, it's this idea that, that John's like is presented with this scroll and nobody's able to open it. And so in frustration and defeat and despair at just the, like, what are we going to do? Like, no one is able to open the scroll. And everybody understands that, that, that it's complete defeat. John gets it. We're completely, I'm completely undone and defeated. And there's no hope until an elder put his hand on his shoulder and reveals the one who can open the scroll. And what he says is, I think he says something like, behold, uh, behold the lion. He said, stop weeping. Behold the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, 
the root of David has overcome, so as to open the book and its seven seals. And so when you get this picture here in your mind, when you hear someone say that, you're weeping, and you're like, no one's powerful enough or able to, to open this scroll up, and you're defeated, and then someone says, no, there is somebody. And he says, who? Well, it's a lion, the lion from the root of, of David. You you get a, in your picture a mind of, of, of power and ability and protection and just the fierceness of a lion. But listen to this next part in verse 6. He turns around, he says, And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, and it had seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, which were not in all the earth. I mean, think about that. He, he says, look at the lion, and he turns around, and he sees the lamb. It's the same lamb that we're talking about here in this Passover. It's the lamb of God, which who came to take away the sins of the world. So there's a whole lot of disruptive power dynamics. The way we view power, there's a whole other thing going on here that is absolutely mind-boggling. Yeah, that's a great thought. And we did a sermon a few months back called The Lion and the Lamb out of that same text. When you look at throughout all of Scripture, you, you see that both of those pictures a lot. I was going to mention uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 is another passage, Jace, where Paul, in another context, but he says, get rid of the old yeast that you uh, may have, be a new batch without yeast as you really are. Then he says, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And so that was another challenge, but it's another reference to the idea that Jesus is that lamb. And what's always been fascinating to me is this picture we get of this of this supper, especially when you read the all accounts, especially the one in John that gives you a little more depth. What you're seeing is, in essence, this is the last Passover meal that's ever going to be needed. Yeah. It went on, you know, it went on for, yeah. and it still goes on because Jay's experienced it. But really, we never needed one after this. <laughs> this was it. No, that was I it. mean, this was the last. So not only was it the last supper, we call it, but it was the last Passover meal we would ever need. But some, but some of these guys figured it out. Even the Isaiah passage in 53, you know, when he yeah. says... Uh, when he says he was despised, verse 3, and rejected by men. You know, this is a prophecy about Jesus and his death on a cross. You know, or, you know, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. Uh, and then verse 4, it says, Surely he took up our sins and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him. He was pierced for our transgressions. This is 5. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. Uh, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each to his, has turned his own way. I know somewhere it's in here somewhere. Uh, oh, verse verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. I mean, even Isaiah gave you a picture that, God was going to provide a human lamb, which was him himself. Yeah, and even gave you that little glimpse of the scattering of the sheep too, which Jesus exactly. mentioned. Go ahead, Zach. Yeah, there's so much. There's so there's so much here, and I think the big the big themes are so, uh, several big themes. One is the one Jace just mentioned. Like there's a substitutionary. There's a there's a payment that that Christ died in our place. So he be, like he became the he took on the penalty. So the lamb, a lot of this is that he was he was pierced for our transgressions. 
know, this is that's the thing. Like he took on that payment um, in the form of the crucifixion. Um, and then there's also the resurrection that gives us hope uh, as well. But but the other thing I think here with the Lord's Supper or uh, some call it the Eucharist or um, communion, however, whatever your church, however your church terms it, is that there's I mean, just think about the 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 thing that your your athletic trainer always said or maybe your coach told you in high school when you were playing ball about your the way you eat. What did he say? You are what you eat. And so if you're ingesting junk and then that's what you're going to become. Right. So you are what you eat and you you become what you consume. Like you think, well, why do I desire what I desire? I mentioned this on a previous podcast. It was because I'm consuming certain things and that's going to form me. I think what's happening here in the Lord's Supper is you are what you eat. And Christ is like, consume me. You know, eat my flesh. But that's important. Drink you, my blood. You could have the greatest meal ever prepared, but if you don't eat it. And I think that's why I started off saying he told he he did this supper in between announcing Judas's betrayal and the rest of the disciples defection because he was addressing sin, their sin. And so here's Judas. You think about it. Judas was part of the greatest small group ever. He had the greatest teacher ever. He actually was under the power of the Spirit when they sent him out and did miraculous things with the other disciples. He knew the ins and outs of you know the creator of the universe and walked and followed. Well, what was the problem? Well, he, he didn't take it. it. His heart was had yeah. not allowed Jesus to rule. But I'll say this. Let's take our last break. I'll say this in addition to that, when you read the John account, you get the impression that Judas, whenever Jesus tells him he's going to be the one that betrays him, he leaves because it says Satan entered him. So I don't even think he was around. He didn't wait around for the supper. Well, he also said in John, he left. In John 13, 18, he, before he gave the speech that one of you is going to betray me, he said, he said, uh, one has turned against me. Yeah. So... I think that's important. It is. Because he well, knew that. Look, and he made his choice because according to John's account there, Satan had not fully entered him because it said then Satan entered him. So it's like in that moment, to your point earlier, he had a, still had a chance to say, you know what, guys? Well, that's why he confronted him. Here's I mean, to I, me, yeah. this is no different than you remember when the woman caught in adultery mm-hmm. and at the end of it, I mean, which I know it's a controversial passage to some. I mean, it's not to me because he's doing the same thing with Judas. And he said, where are your accusers? You know, it has and then he said, uh, has no one condemned you? And then he said, neither do I condemn you. But then he says something kind of crazy, but go leave your life of sin. Yeah, get out of this. Sin. You would think he would say, your yeah. sin has condemned you. You're out. He's like, no, I'm not going to condemn you, but leave your life of sin. And he, he was confronting yeah. her sin while also sharing that he doesn't want. Yeah, you have yeah. a chance. Well, Why and, else would and, he and confront was, him if there was not right. giving him every, well, part of the, every I think I think part of, the, part of the confrontation, though, is it was uh, also kind of a proclamation that there's a prophecy, a messianic prophecy out of Psalms 22 that's being fulfilled here because Judah's betrayal was prophesied in Psalms 22. And so I think part of it is the fulfillment of prophecy, but 
I think the story of Judas is interesting because think about he gets the, these all this money, which was probably going to go to store up you know, metaphorical bread. But I was thinking about this verse out of John six when Jesus says, "I," he says, "I am the bread of life." Your fa- your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, which by the way came from heaven, and they died. This is the bread which came down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and and not die. I am living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give, I give for the life of the world, my flesh. I think that um, if you think about the people who, and I say people, when we dive headfirst into sin, going back, not shameless blood, going back to Phil's movie and his story, like there was 27 years of Phil's life, 10 of which were pretty much Phil just like I'm running for me. And in, in the, the, there's a moment in the film where Phil hits rock bottom because he, he had consumed, and all this came from Phil's own testimony, by the way, that he had consumed is like just as much pleasure as he could. And, and, and it just did not fulfill him. He had a hunger for for pleasure or whatever it was for freedom he had a hunger for it and he and he got hit, he got a mouthful of it i mean he really a belly full of it and it didn't fulfill him so that, that that's on one side of this thing equation on the other side of this equation is this guy who says people who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled that that's what's going on in the lord's supper here this is the fulfillment you want to be fulfilled if you hung you got you got a hunger for something different those who hunger and thirst for righteousness Jesus promised that will be filled and the reason why they'll be filled is because he himself is the bread of life for the life of the world he says it here my flesh and the blood obviously goes along with that mm-hmm. as the as the atonement so I, well, to me it's like a that's that's what's in it for us. No, I agree. Well, I think he has three points that you can you can easily figure out that you must be dependent on the grace of God. I mean, he's pouring out, he's giving you a vision of what was going to happen on the cross, but then he's also giving you a vision because the Passover that it's real family oriented. Families do this. That was what they did. The whole reason the Passover happened. To start with was over your firstborn, and so in your house where the family resided, you put the lamb, the blood of the lamb on there. Well, he's introducing the idea of these are going to be your brothers and sisters. This is a forever family forming here through me. And then he goes to the future. He's like, I'll I'll take this again uh, anew in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is eternal. And so, which I think leads to you know, to our understanding of the resurrection. So you think about those three aspects of what the Lord's Supper say. You're dependent on Jesus, you have a family, and this is forever. Well, there's your there's your gospel reminder every time you you take it, but you don't let it just sit there. But Zach's right in pointing out he is also considering their seriousness of sin. And I wrote down these couple things because I get it about Judas was prophesied to betray him. But so why did, why did Jesus, why is he confronting him? Why is he, he's given him every opportunity, even though he knew that, that he's not, he's not gonna. Cause it had been you know, prophesied and he knew. Well, so why go through all that? Why the confrontation? Why? It just shows you that 
to it, show others. If you leave, yeah. guess what? You, you Who made, moved? You made the call. <laughs> you, you're never going to be able to blame God and say, well, you know, he just didn't love me enough. He didn't offer himself enough. He didn't forgive me enough. I did. He, this guy had everything going in the world, which should scare us in the church in that just because someone is looking like they're participating in the meal doesn't mean they're eating it. Their heart can be a million miles away, and if you ever want an example of that, and here's Jesus. When I got to his feet, if it had been me, and there's a reason that I'm not God, is I, they, there's no way I could have washed his feet knowing what he's fixing to do. But you know what? God is bigger than us. He's more loving. He's, he's more full of grace. But I wanted to make these three points about sin because what he's doing is what Jesus in that confrontation did and what every one of us do when we hear the story of the cross and who Jesus is, it makes us, number one, obviously think about what we've done. We go back and we think of the sins we've committed, and it's shameful and embarrassing. But number two, especially in a situation like this, we should consider what we're capable of doing. Because at this point, Judas could have just pulled the parachute here and said, wait a minute. And so I think that really shows you how sinful we are when that you given the right circumstance, because look, things happen every day. I mean, out of your control. We're capable of a lot worse than even what we're doing based on the circumstance. And the last thing is we have to watch that we don't exclude ourselves from from the group of sinners. You know, in this passage, you get the idea that being a sinner is universal and yet incredibly personal. And so I think what we do is we tend to look at other people and say, well, we're not as bad as them. And we find ways to exclude ourselves from the universal center club and, and justify it in our minds where we're not really looking, looking at that. Because really, ultimately, what will change your life is realizing that Jesus died for your sins. That then, then changes it's if it's always for somebody else's or, right. you know, the bad people or I'm not as bad as those people. And so I, I think that's really the underlying concept here. Well, and we'll, uh, we're out of time, but uh, in overtime, I want to ex- explore that a little bit, Jace, because Lord's Supper going forward, we haven't mentioned 1 Corinthians 11, but we will talk a little bit about that in the overtime, as well as this little worship setting they had. I wanted to get your take on that in verse 26, which I think was pretty amazing. So we'll... Uh, do a little bit more of this in overtime uh, about this uh, this Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. BlazeTV.com slash Unashamed is where you can go to get that. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube. And be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, Subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.